Hello and welcome to a specially convened edition of Switch It. The news following England's series ceiling win against India is that Alistair Cook is to retire from international cricket following this week's final test at the Oval. I'm joined by former England batsman Nick Compton, uh, Cook's open partner in nine tests, and Andrew Miller, who has followed Cook from Test Tyro to England's leading run scorer over the last 12 years, to discuss the chef-shaped imprint he leaves on the game. There should be at least one more chance to catch Cook's famous legside nurdle, his well-grooved leave, possibly even his minimalist cover drive, unless the selectors choose to abandon all sentiment and drop him, of course. But after 161 tests and more than 12,000 runs, that will be that. And as much as it is hard to imagine life without him at the top of England's test order, Miller, this isn't the biggest surprise. No, to be honest, this has been kind of telegraphed for the best part of 18 months, to be perfectly honest. I think um, it was almost it was almost inevitable, I think, as soon as um, there was that big gap after the tour of India when he resigned the captaincy, seven months to, to sort of take stock. And you kind of assumed that if Cook was going to have a second wind as an, in, as an England cricketer, he would take proper stock there, come back and, you know, do do what, you know, Mike Atherton did, for instance, in, after his resignation of captaincy, take take stock of that, that lack of burden and, and go out and do what he did best. But he never quite managed it, obviously, with two massive anomalies at, uh, at Edgebaston and Melbourne. Um, but beyond that, I mean, he hasn't really been able to touch the heights. So, no, it's no great surprise. Um, I think, obviously, in light of winning a series, uh, it's, a, it's as good a time to go out, obviously, against the number one team in the world. But he hasn't scored a 50 in this series. Um, no, no opener scored a 50 in the series, but that's by the by. Uh, it has felt it has felt coming. Doesn't mean to say, it, you know, when when you hear the news at uh, 11 o'clock this morning that uh, it's about to happen. It doesn't it doesn't take away the shock. I mean, he's been ever present for for 12 years. It's 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 going to be remarkable to see a team sheet without him. Um, his record for England is unparalleled, Nick, and, and he's been a, a bastion of solidity and reliability for more than a decade. Um, what, did you, what did you think when you heard the news, and what was he like to bat alongside? I think I'll start with the, the second question. What was he like to bat? He was brilliant. He, he was a, a fantastic guy. I think what I really enjoyed about him, and in some ways it, it kind of astonished me, is when I did come into the team, I, I kind of thought maybe he would you know, speak a lot more or tell me what to do or have more, you know, sort of one-to-one contact. But that wasn't the case. And actually, when I look back, you know, it was probably the best thing for me that, you know, he treated me like anyone else coming into the team. He, he didn't sort of put any precedent on me being the newbie or the newcomer and, and that I was partnering with this Goliath of English cricket. You know, he sort of touched gloves with me and said, all right, and, you know, bother swinging it away. And I, you kind of thought, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's how it's going to be then, and and it normalised me very quickly. You know, it let me get on and do what he knew I could do, and and that's why I was in the team, and that's why I've been selected. And I think that kind of say simplicity or that kind of level headedness, um, that lack of complication, um, that very clear uh, look in his eyes of of drive and ambition and hunger to score runs. I mean. I think any opening batsman knows how tough it is at the top of the innings. And I think just looking in his eyes sometimes in between overs, you know, not many words may have been spoken, but you knew that we're both there trying to fight for the cause. And and that for me was something that I'll never forget. You know, those moments, whether they be in India or New Zealand or um, even playing with them in South Africa, you know, that's what he brought to the team was that solidity. You knew 
at that end that you had a guy who knew his game, who was clear about the way he was going to play and never changed. And I think, you know, you think about nowadays, you know, the amount of ups and downs you go through, even in a season. But when you look at 12 years of consistent test run scoring, um, the ups and downs, the times where, you know, your feet aren't moving, your form goes to... It goes down the tube, and and he stayed with what he had. You know, his game really changed. You know, his practices replicated his match play, and and that in itself was was something that you had to marvel at. Um, so for me, those memories are are something I'll never forget. The opportunity and the chance to to bat with somebody who achieved so many great things for England. Um, so I suppose we come on to the latter question and. Yeah, not a huge surprise. Uh, I think knowing Alistair Cook's expectations of himself and, and what he likes to do and what he expects of himself and what he has done for England cricket at the top of the order, um, he hasn't achieved those heights. I think he knows that. Uh, you know, anyone um, knows that. I think the stats are out there, and I think that would have hurt him more than anything. I know he would have been trying his utmost, but it just seemed like maybe a little bit of fire... And that little 2 or 3%, it only needs to be 2 or 3%, and that's the difference between getting through those tough 20s or 30s and going on to score a big 100. So not a huge surprise. Um, Miller, it is uh, presumably that the chief example he set for England was that concentration, discipline, uh, rather than sort of fluid batsmanship. That, that will be his legacy. Absolutely. I mean, the two... In keeping with, with what he achieved, it's not really p- possible to sort of pinpoint a single great innings from Alistair Cook it, 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 when he was in form twice in particular in his career it wasn't just an innings it was an entire series that, that he took command of and just ransacked through sheer willpower and ability to leave balls outside off that most players would be drawn into and in so doing force those same bowlers to bowl to his legs and give him his nurdles off the hip and, and the, the cut shots and, and as you say the occasional drive through the covers that uh, would come out when, when, when things were really going well but you know that, that tour of Aust- Australia in 2010 I mean classic example for Cook there was you know all the talk Prior to the series was about Kevin Peterson. Frankly, it was every single I was, I was out there on that on that trip, and uh, there was a whole week of build up with all the Australian media, all, all the players put out to the media, and um, almost without fail, they were talking about how we're going to target KP. We're really going to gun for KP. We're going to chop his head off because he's the he's the he's the main man here. And lo and behold, up pops Cook, completely blindsided a lot of them. They they took they taken no notice of him whatsoever. And he was the guy with 450 runs in the first two tests for once out uh, that, that set the tone for that series. And having done that, two years later as captain, goes out to India of all places. I mean, Nick can elaborate further on that one. But, you know, there's 300s. In, in both cases, it was almost like a triptych of performances. There was the the Ahmedabad and, and Brisbane sort of opening gambits, massive hundreds, not in victory, but they proved a point first up for England saying we we can succeed in these conditions showing the way showed the way and then ploughed through with with two more hundreds that, that set, set the seal on on the two greatest achievements of, uh, from England in the past decade I mean Nick you were there in in Ahmedabad and, hmm. and then uh, Mumbai and, and Kolkata how did that the example Cook set help turn the side around from losing that for that opening test I think it was the fact that he was going into it quite cold in the, in the sense that he hadn't captained England before. He, I mean, bar a, a game or two, I think, in Bangladesh, yep. but he hadn't really been captain. He had, he had, had almost brought on or, or taken on Andrew Strauss's team and, and, and Andy Flowers' team that they had sort of brought up, and he sort of came in. And I think the captaincy was quite new to me. 
took it took to it like he has done with his batting. I, I don't think he complicated it. I think he had a good man in, in Andy Flower, who, who was very strong, who had achieved quite a lot with the England team already at that stage. So um, I think it allowed him very much to to and gave him the time to find his feet a bit. But in terms of um, stamping his authority, I mean that Test series was for me being at the other end, where I was just trying to occupy the crease and make sure I stayed there with him because um, India notoriously had been a tough place for uh, um, opposite uh, opposition teams to tour um, spending time out there the talk about the spin but w- watching how clear he was in terms of the way he played I mean I could almost stand at the other end and I knew as soon as the ball was released uh, he was going to defend this one sweep this one or look to cut this one and it, it was almost on a on a repetition and and that was how clear his game was his decision making um, and how simple but he, he seemed to just have it, you know, completely waxed, you know. And when you look at it in context, you know, that was a huge series, you know, against some fine cricketers. Um, and I, I was just very fortunate to be at the end. I, I just remember watching him and, and admiring the fact that whatever he did, he seemed to take the right option. And, you know, to score, you know, 100, 200, 300s, but to keep doing that, you have to be level-headed because the game has so many ups and downs. It's so easy to get ahead of yourself and then think, oh, how am I going to go about the next innings and what have you? And, and the same when you fail, you know, how do you... And he just seemed to have that consistency mentally, on the field, off the field. Um, and, and, and that for me was a massive, you know, out of every player that I've played with, um, you know, he had that. And uh, I still think his, his stroke play was underrated at times. I think there were times where, you know, he, he hit some beautiful shots, you know. He had some really good strokes. Okay, they weren't m- maybe as aesthetically pleasing as Neon Bell, but, you know, he was a better player than just a nudger and nerdler and somebody who was quite strong mentally. I think we must make that clear, you know. He can hit the ball, and you watch him play some T20 innings for Essex and one-day games. He played 90-odd ODIs, so... I saw him score a T20 100. <laughs> well, there you <laughs> go. I was there. It, it <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let, let's take a, a, a quick glance at, at that record. Um, most test runs by an Englishman, sixth most overall, most test runs by an opener, most hundreds for England, most tests for England, most consecutive test appearances overall, most outfield catches for England. Uh, he played the third longest innings of all time uh, in the UAE. Mel, I'm sure you remember, if you haven't erased that from your memory. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sixth highest individual score for England uh, at Edgbaston in 2011. Um, probably the least amount sweated by any player. <laughs> uh, allegedly, anyway. Nick might be able to back this up or, or otherwise. But uh, an all-time great or, or an English great? Discuss. Oh, such, such a cruel question, isn't it? <laughs> it, 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 it the, these are precisely the questions that, I mean, on a different, just to take a tangent, the Jimmy Anderson question, we're forever being thrown that same thing, but, oh, but he's not as good as so-and-so. Frankly, you know, just, just, just put it aside for a moment and look at those numbers. You cannot possibly be anything less than great if you play 159 out of 161 tests over the 12, course of 12 years and retain your place through thick and thin. I mean, it, what, he, wasn't, he wasn't retained on grace and favour. He was retained because he was head and shoulders above any other option. And, you know, there, there was a very interesting stat during the rounds about his overall record as an opener. Uh, in the, if I get this right, he averaged 44.38 in the tests in which he opened across his entire career. And in those same tests, his partner and the opposition batsman averaged 34. So he was 10 runs better off than the average of the guys he played alongside 
in the course of 159 tests, which, you know, that's not a bad way of looking at it. it, it you know, you, you can, you can look at the final averages and you can look at guys who've averaged 50 or, or, or greater in some instances and, and say that the guy who's just dropped below 45 for the first time in his career is perhaps not on the same echelon, but, you know, he has, he has transcended every condition that he's been faced with. And let's not forget his record in Asia, which frankly, um, is, Supreme. I mean, I think only Jack Callis is in the same realm as as an overseas cricketer in Asia, and no one disputes Callis's place in the pantheon. So uh, he's got a lot of reason to be up there. I mean, there's an indelible quality to those numbers, uh, uh, and Nick, you know, as someone who's made uh, Test match runs as an opener, that's uh, it's quite a record he has. Yeah, let's let's look at a couple of things. I think one thing I, I wanted to bring up was. Um, he started well in his career, and he also started at a young age. So he learned his, his cricket basically on the international stage, a, a lot of it. And I think, not to say that he was luckier than others because of that, but sometimes you can learn your cricket in first-class cricket, take five or six years to get into the international stage, and it's, it's still quite a jump. It doesn't matter whether you've played 10 years of first-class cricket or one year. The new stage of playing international cricket takes time to learn, you know, whether you're 30 or, or 17. And I think what Alistair did very well is he always had runs in the bank. You know, he got that 100 on debut. Um, he was very rarely walking the plank like a lot of players are. And I think um, that was testament to him, of course, being good enough to do that. But also seemed to get him up to speed very quickly in terms of what was required and what was needed to, to be done. And... I think that was one aspect of his career where, you know, apart from when he got the 100 against Pakistan, I think, and he was under a lot of pressure. Um, I think also, yeah. yeah, and against India in 2014, he got 90 at, uh, at the Rose Bowl, I think, when Moen bowled them out like he did this, this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll come on to that. Yeah, he's, he's had, he's, he's, he's been one of those players that's managed to produce when, when it matters. And, and that's where we go back to that longevity. And I think, um, those are two major points for me about his career. I, I think he's definitely been a great, I think, someone who's played for that length of time and, and for the fact that he's opened the batting in England. You know, yes, there's other places, you know, Australia is an easier place to bat. India is, is flatter. Sri Lanka is flatter. I mean, I England, notoriously, the new ball, the Duke's ball, is one of the hardest places to bat. And I think um, what he's done mentally, as much as anything, has been uh, incredible. Um Miller, you've compared him to um, Alan Border for sort of granite-hewn, technique-defying batting and leadership. Do you think perhaps it was only that sort of bloody-mindedness that prevented him stepping away entirely after giving giving up the captaincy, as you said, uh, in 2017? Yes, I think so. And 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 again in 2014, that Anas Horribilis that he that he that he just muscled his way through. I mean, I remember watching him uh, in the press conference after. Uh, England had lost to India in that in that Test match when Ishant bounced them out on the final day, and um, he looked like a he looked absolutely bereft. Obviously, they'd lost this lost the Ashes five nil. They'd been beaten by Sri Lanka one nil on home soil. Now they were losing to India. He was a man on the absolute brink, and he still he didn't walk. He he thought, nope, I'm I'm not going to quit. And <laughs> you, you've got you've got to admire that bloody mindedness. That bloody mindedness didn't always come across so well. I mean. He had. I've mentioned KB once before, and I honestly think it's it will in time be impossible to to look at Cook's career without having KP in the mirror. Those two were so fundamental to everything that England achieved when they were on song together. But around the time that KP's fingers were burnt, 
you know, Cook got some pretty pretty appalling press as a consequence because, you know, he was portrayed as a guy who had who'd, who'd pulled the trigger on him. Uh, you know, that was that again. I came down to a bloody mindness, a refusal to be anything other than the man that England wanted him to be at that time. I, I think he was treated badly by the ECB. I think he should never have been above the parapet in that respect. There should have been someone else who would who would take the take the fall because all Cook was trying to do was retain and reinvigorate standards on the field. That was all that ever mattered to him. And how he how he achieved that was was entirely down to, as you say, his bloody mindedness and through thick and thin. He was he was true to himself, and you you can't you can't say fairer than that. Um, yeah, I, I I am, as you say, I've, I've witnessed his career up close for twelve years, and I've been in awe of him on more than one occasion. To be frank, it's uh, it, he has he has achieved some very very special things as 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 a guy who has basically taken much like Border did, taken three shots and a granite will. And transposed it into a career that has become record-breaking, and not many players do that. I mean, he, he is uh, a, th- a throwback in many ways. This isn't. I mean, uh, uh, Nick's pointed out he did play some good shots, but it, it wasn't sexy batting. But it was that that grit was hugely important to the way England played Test cricket during a very successful period. Successful period for them. Definitely, uh, you look at some of those players, the likes of KP, the likes of Ian Bell, the likes of you know, even Jonathan Trott, who played in a similar fashion, I guess, and mentally, um, at number three. But I think those were some of the building blocks for England's success, the likes of Pryor and, and guys to come in down the order and the bowling attack they had behind them. I mean, and that's where it's been kind of sad to watch over the last few years in the sense that we've gone away from some of those very qualities that brought us success, you know, which is, you know, test cricket hasn't changed, it's five days long. And I think Alistair Cook was a, a perfect, um, I suppose I say example of, of a true test cricketer. Um, you know, the, the attributes and the qualities that, let's be honest, are hard to find now. Um, you know, even looking at Alistair Cook over the last year or two, I, I kept looking and thinking there's just something funny about him in the team now yes he was one of the older statesmen and yes there was a load of young modern day cricketers <laughs> inverted commas but you know you sort of think well why am i why am i looking at him like that like he's almost this anomaly and and i think that's more you know sort of uh, because of the times that, that we're in and you know people are sort of he's been sort of pushed to to be this one format type player and I think he's better than that, I do um, but that's kind of the the way the game's gone and the way that he's kind of, I, I think, almost come towards the end of his career at a good time I think he obviously, I think what's really great is that he's still going to play for Essex, I think you know, um, the amount of knowledge and insight he can give to some of those good young players coming on at Essex, um, the fact that he still wants to play, much like Graham Gooch did in his latter years um, I think just shows that he, he loves the game, he clearly loves the game and feels he's got more to offer and, and you know talking about his retirement people saying oh well, it's not a surprise but actually if you look at it he's 33 years old <laughs> I mean I don't know if it was Boycott or Gooch or you know I mean you could probably list a, a number of, of top players who scored mountains of runs from 33 onwards and you yeah, and Gooch certainly was uh, well, exactly he was just 36 when he when he when he started his great great <laughs> run which is incredible <laughs> but yeah maybe uh, he'll come again and come out of retirement hey who knows well, you just don't know but farming but, won't be that interesting i'm sure you'll go you know what i've done this for a couple of years i'm over it <laughs> i'll tell you what though just to pick up your point about about that that being an anomaly the, one of the great regrets i have about his his second coming so to speak was what might have been there was one test i think that showed what could have been for Cook in this in this in this second 
era of his career, and that was the Lord's Test against New Zealand, 2015, when uh, obviously Stokes scored a ridiculously quick 100 and Joe Root made runs, and there was Cook batting away in in the old old clunking steam engine way, 160 runs over the course of 10 hours, while the young guns did their thing around him. And the net result was, in my opinion, the best test match I've watched in the last 10 years. It was all, the whole... The whole thing had Brendan McCullum doing doing his his fandango at the other end, but there was Cook just ploughing along his his familiar furrow with the with the, this young new England around him. And I thought at that moment that yes, this is how it will work for Cook. He can just carry on doing the same thing. You know, I I, I envisaged him and Hasib Hamid. He'd, he'd pass on the the mantle to Hasib Hamid, for instance, and there would be a place for England having having this sort of sheet anchor with with these 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 crazy kids around him and now suddenly we've got to this this test match this test series where cook has you know as we've mentioned not scored a 50 no one scored a 50 it's off the order you've got a position where even joe root has decided that number 3 is is too much of a nosebleed for him basically the whole of the england bats whole of the england batting lineup seems to sort of gathered around the sort of 5 6 7 area and there's a complete void. At the top I told of the you it was tough at the top of the. Oh, I know. I, I told all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. No, but, but uh, you know, touching on that point, uh, Mills is is very much, you know, Cook wasn't allowed to do anything else, and I, I'm, you know, I look at players that are given that responsibility. Okay, he took on that responsibility. It was a role that that he obviously those were his qualities were were sort of led towards that, but. It wasn't like he could go out there and say, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to play like Ben Stokes today." Okay, he probably didn't have quite the doesn't quite have the ability to do that. However, you know, if you look at the way that he can play at times and the things that he can do, there's no doubt more talent in there than perhaps we always saw. But the role and the mantle of what he took on as the opening batter for England with a lot of stroke players there means. You know, you just can't go out there and, and sort of have your free day. And I think that's where you have to look at it a little bit like that and go, you know, every time he thought, you know, I've got to stay here because if I get out, you know, what's happened now with English cricketers, modern day cricketers, got so many strokes and, and playing a lot of flat wickets and, and seem to play all forms of the game, but don't want to bat in the top three. Mm. And it's understandable, but actually... Are we going to, you know, test cricket is still five days long, the same qualities and attributes. And, you know, you look at that test match at the Rose Bowl recently. I mean, the wicket was a fantastic one for test cricket where the ball almost sort of dominated the bat at times. Mm -hmm. But it's fascinating, though. I mean, it it almost sort of extends out of England's... Obviously, everything about English cricket seems to be focused on one-day cricket at the Mm -hmm. moment. And even in the one-day team... England so clearly prefer to chase than set because they want they're reactive essentially they don't, they don't want to be the guys who are setting the agenda for an innings mm. they want to see what the agenda is and react to it and that's why you've got guys playing with such freedom from 36 for 4 because they because you know okay fine the, the template's set so it's another car it's another car crash let's yeah. have a slog yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know th- having having that 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 clear void at the top of the order and you know to be fair cook has been complicit in that because his form has has evaporated but it just goes to show if cook's form had evaporated 10 years ago where on earth would english cricket be i mean he is he has maintained standards and bridged generations to an extent that you know as a comeback to kp kp was able to come in and ransack batting order whether it was um, whether it was a mumbai or 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 adelaide off the back of Cook having ground down mm. the bowlers in the first place, uh, you know the, the the template, the template that he was able to establish just by being himself, 
uh, was one that, that, that carried England to exceptional heights. Well, um, England are going to be in unfamiliar territory soon, and they're going to have to find a new tone setter. Um, and perhaps, as, if, 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 as you suggest, that has become a bit of a, a black hole around Cook, um, which is all dragged down by all this weight. Um, I mean, it has been a struggle this summer, 150, an average of sort of mm. 22. Um, and, and Nick, you've advocated change uh, and finding a fresh part opening partnership. I think you were suggesting Cook go to number three, but that's not going to happen. But they are going to have that opportunity now to start afresh. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I am a little bit sad that he's retired because I saw him batting at three. I really thought that would, you know, in terms of a, a new role, an opportunity to maybe take his game, you know, cliched as it is to another level, um, but almost fill that void of not having a, a top-class number three, but also allowing Joe Root to go four in that really expansive middle order. Um, and, of course, the obvious reasons that the top order hasn't worked, whether it be Alistair Cook, whether it be myself or anyone else for that matter, that the top order has not been consistent. And I think England needed a change, you know. Um, Alistair Cook retiring or not retiring, I think it needed a change. I think by having him at three, it would allow those two youngsters to to start something fresh. And if they did lose an early, early wicket because they're inexperienced and still finding their feet, then you've got you know, Alistair Cook walking out there, okay, that's not going to be the case now. And you almost got sort of three places to fill or two places to fill if they keep Keaton Jennings. And uh, I think that's got to be on the priority list now for the selectors, for Ed Smith, for for the team. Um, no question that Cook should play at the Oval? I think he should, simply because the series is done and it would it would seem churlish now. I think everything that English cricket is about at the moment is trying to trying to please its audience and I think you can tell by the outpouring we've had today that this audience wants to say goodbye to a, to a legend to drop the pilot before before it. It, it, it it would it would leave a bad taste even if I, I think in the long term for the long-term health of English cricket it might actually be beneficial to give a new opening partnership a, a sighter before Sri Lanka I mean there, there is a case for that isn't there yeah, there is. There is a, a case for that, you know, because the sooner they can get someone else in, get them the feel of playing test cricket out there in the middle, like a guy like Rory Burns, for example, if England selectors have decided he's the next cab off the rank, then, you know, what a great test match for him to play in, you know, at his home ground at the Oval. He's done very well there, knows the pitch well, knows the conditions well. And then, in terms of the winter tour, he's now played his first test match, that, that's out the way. He can just focus on that first test match in Sri Lanka. So the only problem you, you, I found sometimes is you go on these tours, you've got two or three warm-up games, and the amount of energy you expend in those warm-up games just trying to get selected. That by, the time, by the time the test match started, you, you know, you, you're perhaps not full up to the brim, full of energy and, and, and what have you, because you've fought so hard and, and the question marks are, are right there until the day before the test match. So, yes, the, the quicker they can get things settled, the better. Um, they might move things around a little bit. For example, uh, you know, this is only me sort of having a look at the setup, but, you know, does Adil Rashid potentially set up? Do they bring in another player, i.e. Rory Burns, who bats at three? You know, OK, it's not his opening position, but it's... It's early enough. It's a, it's at his home ground. You know, is that an option for England? Because Joe Root's not going to bat at three. We know that he's going to bat at four. Um, Mo and Ali could be another option to bat at three, given the fact that they are playing in subcontinental sort of conditions this winter. West Indies, the ball doesn't bounce a huge amount. It's quite slow. Um, if you wanted a, a guy to do a job, say for that winter, then you know Mo might be that man. Is he a long-term number three? I would say no right now, but. 
you know, maybe he's had a had a bit of a chance. Maybe he's gone down the order, and maybe that gives a chance to play two spinners as well. So there are options there for England. Um, it would, of course, as a friend of Alistair's and having opened with him, it'd be nice to send him off in style. Um, you know, we are in a professional game. It's about you know the England team performing and what have you, but. Um, you know, a man who's, who's given so much and done so much, it would be great to see him go and get a hundred, salute the crowd, and uh, and be done with Test cricket. Uh, I think he needs um, 145 runs uh, to overtake Kumar Sangakkara <laughs> and become fifth. I wouldn't uh, put it against fifth. him. <laughs> I can tell you right now, he'll be thinking about that at home, thinking, you know what? Actually, yeah, he, he needs something like that, and I, I wonder if someone could actually give that to him before he goes out. <laughs> um, before we just before we move on, I mean, uh, his captaincy won't be remembered in quite the same light as his as his run scoring. Um, he ended up with a sort of curious record of leading England more times than anyone else, um, winning jointly the second most amount of Tests, I think, level with Strauss behind Vaughan, but losing more than any other captain uh, too. Um, you played under him. How how would you sum up um, that that side of uh, Cook, the, the Test cricketer? Yeah, I, I think when he first took over the captaincy, that test tour in India, and obviously played so well, so he almost as bat did the talking. He led from the front. He was, you know, a guy who was in prime form, um, and often that is the best way for captains to lead. So there wasn't a huge amount of talking to be done then. I don't think he was someone who, at the start, was particularly comfortable sort of giving big authoritarian and uh, captaincy speeches. I don't think that was his style. I think at the time um, he still had Andy Flower then, who was very much, uh, had been a successful coach. So I think, uh, and some senior players there as well, the likes of KP and Swan, who, who he had to sort of um, feed off uh, in the field. I think the second time is when I noticed a bit of a change. I think when I went to South Africa, um, Trevor Bayliss was the new coach and, Trevor and Andy, very different in style. Trevor, much more allowing of the captain to take the team and to run the team um, and to, to give the speeches. And I noticed a very different man there. I, I think also because this was a chance where he had molded his own team. He had you know these Joe Roots and Bairstows and, and guys that were kind of younger than him. So this was his team. And I, I very much got that feeling. I thought his captaincy was... Um, I say better was he had sort of grown into that role a lot more then. But yeah, I I don't think you know he's somebody that he was very grounded. I think people liked him. He's a very likable character. I think that was very important. I think we trusted him. Um, and sometimes yes, maybe he didn't speak as well as Andrew Strauss or perhaps have you know that quality as such. But you know for where he lacked there, he certainly made up in terms of the way he led. Um, the way that we, we looked at him as a player, as a, as a leader, and as someone we, we could we could follow. I mean, he was a, a faultless professional, uh, Milo, a man of integrity, and perhaps a, a, an unfortunate uh, phrase in uh, Giles Clark's, uh, but the right sort of person <laughs> to lead England. Yeah, well, he was, and he was, and he wasn't, wasn't he? Because this 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 um, phrase sort of came back to bite him. It wasn't his fault. It was an utterly unhelpful thing for for Giles Clark to say about him. But you know. It, and his family, of course. Was and his family. But, you know, the, 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 the fundamental thing about that was that he was the last of the England, last England captain to uh, be appointed as the test captain and then sort of take over the one-day side by default. I mean, every, every, every player up, till, up until he was deposed for Owen Morgan as a, as a specialist captain 
every time England gone into a World Cup, they'd gone in with a with a guy who was the England captain in Test cricket. So they, you know, you got the you know, going back to Stewart, you got um, Hussein, you got Vaughan, you got Strauss, and then Cook would have been leading into 2015, and. That, that sea change that occurred that winter when they finally realised we can't go on like this. This is this is killing us across all formats because it was wrecking Cook's technique for Test cricket and and clouding your mind in one day cricket. Suddenly you got this division of powers and England's one day cricket's gone from strength to strength. So yeah, he was he was an outstanding one day cricketer in a very short window because he was bloody minded. He, I remember um, there was this. Uh, he was a put down from from Mike Atherton, uh, so that he was a plodder when he was appointed one day one day captain, and 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 lo and behold, he came out and absolutely lacerated <laughs> Sri Lanka and, and India, and he scored some phenomenally quick nineties um, and hundreds, and and really sort of stuck it to him in in that bloody minded way. But it was, uh, yeah, it, he was <laughs> bloody bloody mindedness was was the the alpha and omega of of what. What Alistair Cook's career was, and in between worlds, as, as Nick has pointed out, there was some supreme skill. But everything else, everything else, drilled down to refusal to quit, whether he was ahead or behind. And, and ultimately, I think that that did in, impact on his record as captain because there were a couple of moments, I think, in his career when he really, frankly, he should have just walked away. I mean, after that, after the five 0 whitewash, he should have washed his hands and said, "You know what? I, I won the Ashes on the home soil only." If couple of months earlier I've lost some now fair cop someone else can have a go <laughs> the fact he stuck it out was was to his immense credit but you know ultimately you look at his, his record as captain and and it doesn't stack up to to the the, the bare bones that went into it and also uh, fundamentally that the the overarching achievement which was that that tour of India which I think will stand the test of time as one of the greatest achievements by any captain well, he's not quite hanging up his apron, uh, and uh, as Nick said, sort of, uh, there's a there's a potential for a sort of Guccian postscript here of uh, going back to the county game and churning out a, a few more hundreds away from the pressure and scrutiny of England duty, just just batting and, and lambing to his heart's content. That's <laughs> uh, going out on Cook's t- own terms, uh, which seems fair enough after the. Uh, length of service he's given. At least it can be, be given, thank you. Okay, well, hold that thought, and we'll be back to discuss the fourth test in a moment. Of course, we, we might not now be discussing all this had the events of the last few days gone slightly differently, and India managed to drag the series back to two all. Um, you know, who knows whether Cook would have been. Um, uh, uh, prepared to announce a retirement before a series decider. But um, an eventual 60-run win uh, in a terrific test at the GS Bowl. That's given uh, both England and Cook a little breathing space, the opportunity for a send-off at the Oval. Um, but India really let that fourth test slip away, didn't they? Yeah, I think they did. I, I think Coley will be looking long and hard at that and thinking, you know what, in terms of the conditions, in terms of um, some of the, the opportunities they had, 86 for 6, England, first innings, uh, won the toss, I mean, there was an opportunity, 2-1 down, having had a bit of momentum from the previous test match. Um, I kind of expected, I think we all expected India then to, to win this test match. Uh, you know, I think... Um, and they were 142 for two in response exactly. as well. And they're sort of so you look at, yeah, and when we talk about iconic test matches and what have you, we talk about moments. I mean, when you're in the change room, Andy Flower put up on the board and, and you'd only look at, say, the next session. You know, you wouldn't look too far ahead. It was about what you can do this session. Let's not look. And I think 
there and uh, you know we we then turn that around and you say that you know okay England's top order didn't really fire um, you know the bowling was was good at times not so good at times um, but the 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 latter order the, the 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 lower order the likes of Sam Curran who even missed the Test match and Mo and Ali those two guys who came back in won that Test match for England and that for me is is a huge plus you know I think once one because Mo's a great friend and a, and a fantastic guy and I think he's been a, a fantastic cricketer for England it's nice to see him back playing with that spark and and performing the way he can but I think gee what a find the Sam Curran is I mean um, you know take away you know his the way he played i mean some of the, he's an attractive player i think his technique looks very simple it looks um tight um you know for a guy that's not really batted in the top order for surrey who I, you know i saw bat number 7 or 8 when i played against him a few times and you thought yeah he's talented but he was only a young kid then he couldn't really get it off the square um so the, so take away the shots but i think for me and, and players have talked spoken about it is the attitude the the you know the mentality I mean looks like he'd been out there for years looked like he it was no big shakes that he was now playing with all these great players and guys that he had probably looked up to so yeah I think India missed a massive opportunity there Um, but I think you know England should take great heart from the courage the fight that they showed because um, there's a lot of teams that would have collapsed uh, particularly in this test match yeah totally I think I think the, the fascinating thing about this test match for me was that I thought India produced the, the, the moments of outstanding quality. Uh, Bumrah's bowling, I mm. thought, was phenomenal. Yeah. Particularly, especially on that, the whole of their bowling attack on that first day, swinging for a full 73 overs. But, um, but you know, it was, it was, it was Bumrah's bowling for me and Pajara's batting with maybe a bit of Kohli in the second innings were the sheer stamps of class. Yeah. But somehow England overcame absolute calamity to, to scrap their way to, the key moments, and then of course, probably the, the trump card of all of them was mowing out bowling Ashwin. And yeah. that, that was that was incredible. And I'm interested to get your take on this, Nick, because my theory about this is, you know, we're forever told that our that our spinners aren't good enough to compete in in Asian conditions in particular. I mean, Rashid was said to be too slow through the air, and yet in English conditions, it was that lack of pace through the air and the ability to get the ball to bite harder on the surface that seemed actually to be. To England's benefit in this one, which uh, I don't know whether it's just a difference well, between certainly Moeen's home record certainly versus India well, isn't it? <laughs> against his away record uh, versus India. Uh, it's an incredible disparity. Yeah, and, and, and totally. And I, I think if you look at the two actions of the two bowlers, very quite different. One more orthodox, Moeen Ali, sideways on. Um, clearly worked very hard with Sakhalin Mushtaq. I know they get on very well. Um, a chance to go back to county cricket. Maybe he's changed a couple of things in his technique, which which I noticed, um, which has maybe made him a little bit more consistent. Um, clearly, the ball's going up a little bit higher. Um, that was one noticeable thing. But you know that can happen. He's played in some IPL. He's played in some one day cricket, and suddenly you suddenly have to you have to you have to remove yourself at times from environments and actually look and go. Ah, I didn't realise I'd bowling a bit flatter or I've got my arms coming down and and you know you forget that because international cricket now is just so full on that you know you're almost expecting these guys to be like robots you know for them to replicate the same action for 10 you know, it just doesn't happen and maybe Ashwin went through that in this game maybe that's something that and I'm going to go one step further and this might put the cat amongst but I don't <laughs> think Indians are very good players of spin <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, well, no. yeah, I, I really don't. I mean, prepare for a Twitter uh, onslaught. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and I'm, I'm not saying they're bad players of spin. Let me We've just got our headline. Re- <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. I'm done in 
for. I know. I think uh, our editor, uh, Sabit Bal, who uh, was in the last uh, Switch episode of Switch, I think, would put, might agree with you there. I, I, uh, you know, I've got, just, they're not bad players of spin. Let me make that clear. But <laughs> I, I don't think they're as good a players of spin as we think sometimes. And you know, because they've been undone by good spin too often. You know, that that Test match that we've spoken about most of the program, 2012, um, Swan and Panasar. Um, I was up there close, sometimes under the lid, etc. And you could see it for yourself that um, there was some. It was fantastic bowling, but you expected more. You know, you look at Moen Ali in 2014 at, at the Rose Bowl. You know, you expected more, and that was the first time where I thought there were just. You know, and I'm not sitting here. It's very easy to sit on the couch, of course, and, and remember. <laughs> <Isn't it> just <laughs> you know, oh, why aren't they playing it like this? And then you sort of think, well, why aren't you out there? And look, that's fine. You know, I accept that. Um, but I think there were there are aspects to to the way that they play spin, which I, I sort of feel for for people or, or a team that are renowned for for the way that they play spin because of their conditions. I think they get undone by good spin too often, and uh, that that's just a minor point. Uh, I think on the point of Ashwin, um, you know, the guy had a bad game. I mean, you know, let's you know, I think and possibly carrying an injury from uh, we we don't know. It's small niggles, and let me tell you, small niggles can make a big difference. You know, it does only needs to be two or three percent. Um, it can make a big difference. His consistency wasn't there. He he seemed to vary the ball too much, whereas Moen almost bowled, repeated the same delivery over and over again and seemed to just have uh, more consistency. I think Ashwin maybe tried too hard at times, but it happens. It happens. It wasn't a great time for it to happen, I think, for India. I think they were expecting more. You know, until you speak to Ashwin, until you really know what was going on, maybe he was really busting a gut to try and do everything he could to play in that game when actually perhaps he should have sat out. Maybe we, you know, we just don't know. So I think... A big, you know, had had he been fit and firing and, and bowling his best, uh, I think maybe the test match would have been different. You know, Rod Bransgrove might as well have built the Aegeus Bowl specifically for Moeen. He's, <laughs> he's taken 17 test wickets <laughs> in two games there at 15, and India the victims on both occasions. But I mean, England have sort of taken bits and pieces cricket to an entirely new level uh, during the series. Uh, Milo. Um, Talked about Curran, uh, Moeen, but Wokes and Stokes as well. Totally. I mean, I, I thought I thought the 1992 World and Cup Butler. team was 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 the apogee of, of bits and pieces cricket. But uh, <laughs> absolutely, it's a it's a different world. As, as I was saying earlier, they they have this extraordinary wealth of talent from five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten, uh, if you if you include Broad as in his former incarnation as an all rounder, it's a, it's ex, it's an exceptional lineup yeah. to have. Um, but yeah, the one thing they one five thing they, players trying to squeeze into those five things, players trying to squeeze in the same place, which means that a couple of players have to be squeezed too high, <laughs> and they're they're all getting nosebleeds up there. It's, yeah. it, it it is a fascinating scenario. I mean, I don't know what the solution is, frankly. But I've, I've got a question for you, Johnny Bairstow. What do you do with him? I I'm getting fed up with him, to be honest. I I I, I really I really do think he he, he seems didn't endear himself with that that first baller uh, after. I mean, after that, you know, there. let's face it, he's got a broken finger. Maybe maybe you know, as you say, the two two or three percent off is is one thing. But the thing that gets me about Besto is is this absolute bloody-minded refusal to accept that there may be another way for him to be the cricketer that England need. And I would love to see. I would love to see him challenge himself to be the batsman that I'm sure he could be. I mean, you know, you, you think it's, it's an extraordinary situation to be in, though, because, you know, think of someone like Alex Stewart, who compromised his opportunity to be a, a world-class opening batsman to become a seriously good number four or five wicketkeeper. And you've got a guy doing completely the opposite, who could be, maybe not an opening batsman, but it could be a top four, 
but he's he's not he's not willing to compromise the, the sort of security blanket of the gloves. I I don't know. It, it's it, a it's a tough one, and I'm sort of coming off the back of that. I, I almost try and put myself in his shoes a little bit because you know I was there in some of his early years when he played a few Test matches, didn't quite crack it. I think technically he wasn't the player that he is now, even though perhaps he didn't play that well technically in this last test but there's no doubt his stats and, and what he's done in the last two and a half years in all forms of the game has been exceptional mm. I'm a big Johnny Besto fan um, and for some from his point of view he probably thinks you know I've waited all this time I've worked my nuts off to get the gloves my keeping has come on and it has come on um, my batting statistics over the last two and a half years or uh, I'm not quite sure of the, the length of time but let's say as a rough guide has has been much better. He's been arguably one of England's best England cricketers. Um, and I suppose from his point of view, he thinks, well, what's, what have I done wrong? You know, <laughs> what, what have I done wrong? Okay, I broke my finger and just, I mean, I, I suppose he, it's, it's less what he's done wrong. And I do feel for him in some ways. I have to because I, it's less what he's done wrong, but it's the fact that Joss Butler's come in and Ed Smith brought him in as a bit of a surprise selection. And, you know, maybe he hasn't really surprised us. He's, he's grown. And I think the IPL's actually ironically done a lot for him in terms of his growth as an international cricketer. Um, but it, it now puts a really difficult strand on, on where he goes. I mean, you know, I suggested he maybe open the batting, you know, as a, a little bit of a left field idea. I knew they probably wouldn't do that, but you know, he'd broken his finger. He didn't have the gloves, you know, right hand, left hand combination. You know, two left handers hadn't worked given the, the, the success of the Indian bowlers. And yeah, I, I kind of, I feel for him a little bit. I have to because, you know, he almost thinks, well, why do I need to tighten up? Well, you know, why do I need to be England's number three? Because no one else can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, still several questions around uh, England's batting order. Um, Ed Smith, we mentioned some of his picks, Joss Butler, um, Sam Kerr and Moeen coming back. Uh, what what should Smith and, and the selectors do for this final test then? Is it a chance to experiment now? Cook's on his way, the series is won. Uh, do you throw everything up in the air? I'm tempted to say, go on, ask the bat at three. Just, 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 just be a stopgap. I mean, we're talking about. I mean, you you were talking about Moeen being a stopgap. That's exactly what uh, Bayliss is is mulling over at the moment. He would talk to George yesterday after the test, and exactly that because of the 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 nature of the series coming up. There could be a case for Moeen to be three at the Oval with a view to going to West Indies and Sri Lanka this winter and cementing it. But then, what does that do for the Ashes next year? You don't really want to. Uh, Want to have Hazelwood and Co. Uh, bombing Moeen out at three? So uh, I don't know. I've, I'd like to see Burns get his chance. I, I think Burns deserves to be given a chance to bat in the position in which he's probably going to be asked to bat in the long term, which is probably opening. Which maybe does mean that go on, Asta, show us what you can do at three, and and then we'll we'll face one problem at a time rather than this what they've got at the moment. Now they're going to go to Sri Lanka with an absolute void from one to three. And that's 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 um, a pretty pretty terrifying prospect, um, frankly, for a, for a side that uh, has has done remarkably well in my opinion. I mean, I, I backed India to win this series. I didn't think England would find enough fight to to cover over the clear problems that they had, and they have, which is a great credit to them. But it doesn't disguise the fact that uh, they have got so many problems in that batting order, and and they're not going to be able to resolve them in a hurry. And Burns and Burns and Jennings, the next opening partnership for England, Nick. Yeah, one of the things that we have had with this rotating door, revolving door, trying to find um, a partnership that, that sort of works is you've got to be sure that the guy you're selecting next is going to be better than what you've dropped. And I, I don't think that's 
been the case for three years, four years. You know, uh, you know, whoever they've brought in hasn't necessarily done much better. And um, but that's not to say that Burns won't come in and do well until you try someone you don't know. But and you know, I think it also is a good um, indictment on on county cricket. You know, he's worked hard, he's scored the runs, um, he's done what's been asked of him. You know, he's played on a good track at, at the Oval. He's and. You know, from that point of view, if you don't pick him, you're almost saying, well, you know, we county runs aren't important, and we, you know, and and with that in mind, obviously the two marquee picks this year have been precisely not county oriented, with with Butler yeah. and Rashid coming back in. So I think I think Smith is a is a, is a is a clever bloke. He's he's a pragmatic bloke, and I think he'll recognise there there is a need to to play play ball a bit with the county cricket because you know you, he can't keep picking rabbits out of the hat he's got uh, to, yeah. he's got to trust the system because it's the only system he's actually got and i think the mo and ali selection at three i, I think they've they can do that as a stopgap that's fine because you know i expect mo to probably play better in subcontinent conditions than he will perhaps uh, you know in australian conditions but they've also got to have an eye that he potentially is a long-term number three because i think what we don't want, and what you just alluded to, is is another problem. You know, um, you know, and I still think England need to set up as a solid top number three guys. That yes, when you have a good day, it might not be incredible, but when you have a bad day, it's not awful. And I think that's been a bit of the issue: is that you, with when you lose players like Trot and Cook and what have you, okay, it'd be great to have a team full of Cooks and Stokes, but sorry, Root and Stokes, but. Um, because when your days are good, they're going to be incredible, but you're also going to have some bad days there. And I think that's when you're talking about England becoming the number one test team, when you're talking about trying to repeat good performances and test series over and over again, you need consistency. You need players who you can depend on. And it's not easy to find. There aren't millions coming out of the, the hedges at the moment. So it is a tough job for, for the selectors. They're going to have to look at a, a, long, a short-term and a medium-term plan, I think. Well... In a parallel universe, India are 3-1 up in the series. But of course they're not. Uh, They could have had the chance to emulate Bradman's 1936-37 Australians, but they won't. Uh, (laughs) India have treated us to a heck of a series um, and will be hoping for one more tussle for the annals at the Oval, where one of the test greats is set to sign off. Alistair Cook could grind for England, and we're very glad he did. My thanks to Miller and Compo. We're off to practice our off-stump leave. This has been the Switch Hit Podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com.